0: Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. This is the word of God. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And Hebrews chapter twelve. This is a, a sermon that is not going to be preached uh, from. A theologian's armchair, this is something that I have had to work through in dealing with the issue of bitterness, and because of how destructive I found it in my own life, uh, it is something that I, I really, really want you to pay attention to. Hebrews twelve fourteen through 15, <clears throat> Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Amen. Father, we recognize that however diligently we work on our own sanctification, apart from your grace, uh, our striving would be uh, losing. And I pray, Father, that uh, your grace would not only quicken the word preached to each one of our hearts, but, Father, that uh, we would be strengthened throughout this week and these coming months uh, to do that which is pleasing in your sight. Father, work in us powerfully to the glory of your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Tom and Leah are fictional names, but I think uh, you'll recognize the symptoms no matter where in the world that you may go. Uh, Tom and Leah were uh, really wonderful people. They got along with just about everybody. But what was mystifying some people is how come these two got on each other's cases and got so ticked off over the most trivial of issues. Now, they used to hide it when they uh, got upset with each other in public, but anymore, they'd set each other off uh, even when they were in front of others. And here's a sample hour in their home. At the dinner table, Tom commented that the the meat was good, and uh, because he didn't say anything about the vegetables, she assumed that he didn't like the vegetables, and that slow burn that was already in there began to get a little bit hotter. He innocently asked her what she had done that day, and she blew up asking why he was accusing her of being lazy, that he ought to try doing housekeeping for a change and see how well he did. And he insisted he wasn't accusing her of anything, but since she was so sensitive, maybe she had something to hide. And uh, he could almost feel the forgotten bitterness welling up inside of her. Uh, he hadn't meant to give that last barb, or had he? Uh, by now, it was beginning to feel good. And with her angry response and his retorts, they were off to a bitter fight. About an hour Later, they uh, separated, and uh, there were thoughts, angry thoughts, that would uh, occasionally well up these, these uh, terrible feelings within, and things cooled down later, but nothing was ever resolved. It uh, didn't matter how many times they apologized, there was this underlying bitterness and resentment that almost seemed to be a permanent part of their marriage. The Greek word for bitter can refer to something that tastes bitter in our mouth, or it can refer to something that is an inward bitter or resentful spirit. In Acts 8, verse 23, Peter said to Simon, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. You are poisoned by bitterness. Bitterness is a poison that leaches through our whole being when we have unresolved anger. Let me give you some definitions that various scholars have given of this word. T.S. Rendell defines bitterness as, quote, the atmosp- atmosphere produced in us internally when we meditate over life's circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. It is the radioactive fallout, fallout that contaminates everything in life after there has been a failure in the core of our being to come to grips with life's disappointments. John MacArthur defines it this way, Bitterness is that feeling of hurt, resentment, anger, hate, and even revenge that often build up in our heart when we have been bitten by certain experiences of life. James Merritt said, bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. And uh, we can be bitter with our spouse, with our parents, with a boss who has been unfair with us, with a pastor who has uh, uh, poked at some point in our lives that we feel he has no right to touch with a mother who has mistreated you, a brother or a sister who has let you down, with a church that was not there when you needed the church. Uh, Bitterness can be expressed against God, it can be expressed against man, it can be just a generalized uh, upset with life. But bitterness is a poison that eats at our insides and it takes away the peace, the joy, the contentment that we once had. Uh, Some people have rejected God because of bitterness. I think of the the lady who survived the sinking of the Titanic, but her husband died, and she made the uh, comment, God went down with the Titanic. There have been some people who have rejected God. There have been pastors who have, uh, because of their bitterness against the church, have completely given up the ministry. Jonah was a man who was consumed with bitterness toward the Assyrians. Now, some people, I think, have wrongly assumed that um, uh, he was prejudiced against anybody that was not a Jew. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you examine the book of Jonah, you will see that Jonah had compassion upon the Phoenicians. He preached to the Phoenicians, told them about God. It's very obvious from the words that they give later on. Uh, He uh, gave up his life in place of their lives. He could have just said, who cares about Phoenicians? I'll let them go down with me. But uh, he spared their lives it was against the Assyrians and the Assyrians only that he was bitter And uh, the reason why I think is hinted at in the book of Kings Uh, In the book of Kings it indicates that Jonah's hometown had been attacked by the Assyrians And uh, if you've done any study of the Assyrian culture and looked at archaeology and things of that nature uh, You'll get a good feel as to why Jonah was probably pretty bitter. Uh, I get um, a monthly Um, what's it called? Archaeology magazine. And uh, there have been a number of issues that have looked at the artifacts uh, from the Assyrian homes. And just in the common households throughout Assyria, they'd have these weird figurines of people being tortured in various ways. It was a very um, uh, um, cruel culture. And no doubt, Jonah had seen his friends and his relatives being skinned alive or in other ways, sadistically being tortured. And it appears that Jonah had been so affected with this anger toward those Assyrians, this bitterness, this resentment toward what they had done, that he could not get over it. And God forced Jonah into a ministry to the Assyrians that was as much for his own good as it was for the Ninevites' good. And uh, I think that you need to face your bitterness as well, as hard as it may be, for your own good, as well as for the good of those that uh, you have affected. I want you to look with me. At Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look first of all at some motivations to deal with bitterness because uh, I can guarantee you people who go through bitterness, they don't want to give it up. Uh, they're nursing that, uh, the wounds that they have been afflicted with, and so you need some of these motivations, and these are dangers, uh, dangers uh, that God warns us are going to come into our lives if we do not deal seriously with the sin of bitterness. First of all, in verse 15 it says, Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now, the picture is of a person who has grace available for him, but he misses it. Okay, there's grace all around him, but he falls short of that grace. It's not doing him any good. Bitterness crowds out all of the graces of God. It crowds out our joy, our happiness, our contentment, our peace. And it fills us instead with anger and hurt and even hatred. If you're unwilling to relinquish and get rid of your bitterness, you simply will not grow in grace. You will not. It is impossible. And I think that that danger alone ought to make us willing to do some of the hard work of getting rid of bitterness uh, out of our lives, just realizing that we're going to fall short of the grace of God. Secondly, verse 15 says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Cause trouble now this goes one step beyond that falling short of the grace of God is a deprivation we're not having these graces lived out in our lives but this goes beyond that and it says it causes trouble in our lives it causes trouble to our spirits and I think uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever been bitter the kind of peace and joy and contentment that is robbed from your life and if it's not in your life you've seen it in other people's lives as well it causes trouble not just to our spirit; it causes trouble to our bodies. Doctor S. I. McMillan uh, wrote a book called "None of These Diseases." I don't know if any of you have read that uh, book. It's uh, a remarkable book, going through all of the laws of the Old Testament and how they affected the health of God's people. And one of the little chapters there was uh, 50 diseases that are uh, that are produced uh, by uh, negative feelings over a long period of time: uh, bitterness, resentment, anger. He said, the man I hate may be miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver. He whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a torture. The lowliest of serfs can sleep, but not I. I really must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man upon whom I pour the vial of my wrath. Uh, Otto von Bismarck is a case in point. Uh, He was the chancellor of Germany during uh, World War I, and he was a man who was just eaten up with bitterness. One morning he told those that were around him. I have spent the whole night hating Uh, He he just had become such a bitter man from the hurts that had come into his life That uh, he couldn't sleep it affected his uh, his body. He grew a beard because his face muscles were twitching so much from that He had ulcers. He had shingles uh, a number of other disorders And when publishers offered him a huge sum of money to publish his biography, uh, he just unleashed in that book all of the venom and the hatred and the bitterness for the people who had wronged him throughout his life. And he died a bitter man. So bitterness troubles the soul. It troubles the body. It troubles all, uh, others as well. Look at verse 15 in that last phrase there. It says, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness, by its very nature, defiles everything that it comes into contact with, whether it's internally or whether it's externally. And I think that that phrase, bad company corrupts good morals, definitely applies to hanging around people who are bitter in their spirit. Uh, Bitter people can uh, destroy an entire church with their gossip, their slander, their innuendo and gripes and hostility. So it not only defiles us, it defiles others. E. Stanley Jones once likened it to a rattlesnake because rattlesnakes... Uh, you know they bite they have that venom but you get it in a corner get it really riled up and as it's writhing sometimes those rattlesnakes will bite their own coils they will poison their own selves and i have seen people who have destroyed their own lives because of bitterness lastly it can lead to other sins verses 16 through 17 less and that word less indicates there's a cause and effect of failing to deal with bitterness he says less there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so uh, uh, bitterness in uh, in Esau's life led him to come into bondage to other sins from which there was no escape. Now, there are three steps we're going to be looking at Conquering bitterness, the first one is to dig out the root. Okay, that's the negative. The positive is you've got to place the opposite grace, plant the opposite graces in your life. And then, thirdly, you need to make sure that the soil is inhospitable to ever springing up uh, that root again. When Kathy and I went to uh, Covenant College, we saw kudzu all over the place. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, kudzu, it is definitely uh, not a plant that you want to have around. Uh, It's all over the state of Georgia. It was imported to Georgia back in 1876 as an ornamental shade plant, and later it was used to control erosion. But it grows so quickly that by 1948, it was estimated that 500,000 acres were covered with um, kudzu. 480,000 of those acres were in Georgia, and I'm not sure how many acres are covered today, but it's a whole lot more uh, from what I understand. Kudzu can grow one foot a day, up to a hundred feet in a single growing season. Uh, It is just an incredible growing plant. It outgrows everything that's native to Georgia, and it completely smothers all of the other plants It kills the vegetation. Bitterness is kudzu, and if you do not get rid of that root of bitterness from your life, it will choke out all other graces. Now, how do you get rid of kudzu? Well, the only way you can get rid of kudzu is get a a pick and a shovel. You've got to dig out its roots. You can't just cut it down. You've got to dig it out by the roots. And just as digging out kudzu is a very difficult process, digging out the root of bitterness is difficult because it goes against the grain of our human flesh. And I've given in your outline some steps that you need to take. First, you need to repent of it as a sin. The Pharisee said in his heart, Who is my neighbor? You know, who do I have to repent to? You have to repent to the one that you are bitter against. That's exactly what Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 indicate. Doesn't matter whether they're at fault, you're at fault, you have to go and you need to get it right. But it indicates you need to repent to the one that you are bitter against. And that is a hard pill to swallow because of our human pride. It is extremely hard to swallow. It's a double whammy. You know what's even harder than repenting? It's repenting about your bitterness without bringing up the other person's sins and dwelling upon them. Now, there are times that Scripture calls us to uh, bring up the other person's sins after we've taken the log out of our own eye, you know, to bring up the splinter that's in their eye. But, you know, more times than not, when we bring up somebody else's sins in connection with our repentance, it's because we don't want to make our sin look as bad as it really is. The person God, whom God's grace has been working in their lives is focused more on their own sinfulness than they are upon the wrong that has been done against them. So we confess it to the other person. Secondly, we relinquish our hurts to God. Tell the Lord, Father, I relinquish my bitterness and my anger over my husband's angry words to you. Only you can heal me. I'm no longer going to nurse these wounds. In fact, Father, I ask you to forgive me for constantly poking my finger in those wounds, constantly pulling that scab back For nursing the wounds that have been done against me. You were wounded for my transgressions. By your stripes I am healed. And I thank you Father that every time I am persecuted. You have said that the son is persecuted. And I therefore give all of my persecutions. I give all of my wounds to him. And if you want me to be done with all of this persecution. That's up to you. If you want me to continue to be persecuted. That's up to you. I'm not going to let any man any longer take that away from me i give it all to you i accept your healing and forgiveness and then you relinquish your rights to god you write down every right that has been violated by that person and you give it to god and you say lord i know that i have no right except for hell and i give all my rights to you you purchased me and all that belongs to me and i give my rights to you you're able to protect my rights far better than i can and if it's your will for me to have that right then, Lord, I gladly receive it. And if it's not your will for me to have it, I give it to you. No man's going to take that right away from me. I give it to you, willfully and gladly. Here's a prayer of St. Ignatius that I love. He said, Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory. And I tell you, when I, when I pray this prayer, it is hard for me to pray because you think of if the Lord wanted to take away your memory or if he wanted to take away. But to have freedom, you've got to give it up. Take Lord and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all that I have and possess. You have given all to me. To you, O Lord, I return it. All is yours. Dispose of it wholly according to your will. Give me your love and your grace, for this is sufficient for me. It's a great prayer. And it's a prayer I've had to make many times because I keep taking back what I give over to the Lord. But it's it's something that we need to do if we are to be free. Another thing that you must do, and you'll probably do it hundreds of times, <laughs> I know I've had to do it hundreds of times, is you give your pride to God. <sighs> relinquish it to the lord i've uh, given uh, in the past one time a half sheet it's blue you may recognize it from intercessors for america but it describes the difference between the proud person and the broken person and it just goes through a long list of things that we can offer up to the lord we recognize the pride that is in our lives, and and we pray to the lord that uh, we would not focus so much on the failures of others as we do being overwhelmed with our own spiritual need, that we would not have a demanding spirit, but a yielding, meek spirit, that we would not desire to be successful, but we would desire to be faithful, that we would not be wounded when others are promoted and we're overlooked, but that we would be given by God's grace a delight that other people are given the credit. And it goes on and on. If you go through that, and just ask me if you would like that chart. but if you go through that, I would be surprised if any of you can go through that whole list without seeing pride in your heart because pride is endemic to every human being and we need to relinquish it to God. Next, you need to stop the actions which promote the bitterness. Now, in the list that we read in Ephesians, it lists them out as anger, arguing, bad language. Boy, it's hard, you know, not to argue when somebody's trying to argue with you because you feel like uh, you're, you're just admitting that they're right, you know, if you uh, don't uh, give back your reasons. But he says, just give it up anger arguing bad language backbiting and malice or even hanging around people who do that you know you may feel that you've licked your bitterness but then somebody comes along and he starts complaining about the things that you're bitter over man you feel that old bitterness creeping right up into your soul again and so he says get rid of those actions out of your life now those are the negative steps that's digging up the root but that's not sufficient you've got to plant in its place positive steps. And points one through five are the negative. Points six through ten are the positive graces that need to be planted. First of all, Ephesians four verse thirty-two says, "Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you." And we need to forgive that other person in our hearts before they even ask for forgiveness. Mark eleven <clears throat> eleven twenty-five says, "And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him." that your Father in heaven may also forgive you, your trespasses. He says, that's even before anybody comes to you. He says, when you, you're you standing there praying, and you realize you have something against somebody, forgive him right then and there. And uh, you may say, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. Let me ask you if what that person did to you is worse than what they, people did to Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. That means your forgiveness cannot have any strings attached. You can't make the person suffer for a while before you forgive them. You can't make them sit in the doghouse for a while before you forgive them. You have to be reconciled right away. And the first step to reconciliation is forgiveness. And forgiveness means it's a commitment. I'm not going to be bringing up this wrong against that person unless it's for the first purpose of restoration that Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 uh, talk about. Point 7 is automatic if we have been forgiven, but people neglect it so frequently. I've included it as a separate step, and that is that we must refuse to think, to even think about the wrong that has happened to us. Now, that is such a struggle because you're going along, you're praying, you're doing something else, and before you know it, you realize the last five minutes you've been spent Uh, brooding over that hurt that has been done to you, and your mind just tends to wander back there, but you need to discipline your mind to not be thinking about the things that cause that bitterness. In his book, Lee, the last years, Charles Flood tells of um, (coughs) how after the war, General Robert E. Lee visited a a lady, and uh, she took him to the remains of a huge tree in front of her house. It was almost like a family heirloom. And crying there, she she pointed to the shattered limbs that the federal artillery had destroyed, and uh, pointed to the deliberate defacement that they had made on the on the trunk. And uh, it, it brought back such bitter memories. She said, what, what, "What should I do with this tree?" <clears throat> and uh, Lee said, "Cut it down, my dear Madame, and forget it. Whatever it is that has itju- injured you, you've got to cut it down. You've got to throw it away. You've got to forget about it. You cannot be dwelling continually on those things." that arouse that bitterness. Point eight is to pursue peace with that person rather than avoiding him. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, Pursue peace with all men. No exceptions. And you might think the person you're bitter against couldn't possibly be in God's mind when he wrote that, but there are no exceptions here. He says, Pursue peace with all men. You have not conquered bitterness, if you just banish a person out of your life, no longer talk to them and you feel better. That is not conquering bitterness. According to the Bible, you have got to pursue peace with that very person who has brought up that bitterness. You need to seek to establish. Now, he may not let you establish that relationship, but you need to be pursuing it. You need to be doing kind things to that person and uh, not settling for halfway measures. The biblical standard goes way beyond what what any unbeliever can do, and it takes grace to pursue peace with them. But it says, pursue peace and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Ninth is even more grating to our flesh. Ephesians four thirty two commands us be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving, etc. And that too is in the context of forgiveness. You've got to start blessing those who curse you. You you've got to start doing good to people who have done bad things to you, treating them kindly when a neighbor has abused, uh, you know, verbally abused your child uh, next door. Finding some way where the whole family can minister to that neighbor. Doing something nice to that neighbor. that does not mean you're a doormat. In fact, being a doormat doesn't take any grace whatsoever. Being a doormat is where you've just given up on life. You don't care anymore. This takes incredible strength of character that only God's grace can give because what you are doing, according to Romans 13, is you are conquering that person's wickedness and you're conquering your own heart with good. You're overcoming evil with good, and he gives a whole long list in Romans 13 of ways that you can overcome evil with good. So it says we need to be pursuing these people. We need to be kind and tender to the very people who have been harsh and cruel to us. The tenth step could easily be the first step as well. Paul says in the Ephesians passage, giving thanks always for all things. Now this step all by itself can conquer your bitterness. The others, you know, reinforce it. But this is a critical step. Being thankful to God for the very thing that you are bitter over. Yes, it was a sin. But God is in control, and he would not have allowed that to come into your life, according to Romans eight twenty-eight, if it was not for your good. And by faith, you can begin to thank God that this is for your good. And thank God that he has trusted you enough with his grace that you are now being given an opportunity to demonstrate grace to this other person of how good can overcome evil. Thanking God for the victory that he will give to you in the future. Thanking God that his grace is sufficient. But thanking God in every dimension of that problem, not just in the circumstance, but for that circumstance that you were bitter over. And I guarantee you, you begin to do that consistently, you're very quickly, perceptively, going to feel that bitterness ebbing out of your life it will destroy, it will uh, cause to wither up and die, that root of bitterness. Now the last six points are simply extras that can make the soil of your life inhospitable to bitterness. I'm not going to take the time to go over them, but let me end with a story that shows how forgiveness and love, the graces that God replaces bitterness with, can take over and influence others just as powerfully as bitterness can defile and influence others. I was going to use uh, an illustration that uh, we just watched a movie, I don't know if you've seen it, Les Miserables, uh, which I just think is a marvelous illustration of how bitterness can, can so destroy a person's life, but also how good can overcome bitterness. But this is a true story, it's not a movie. A man came back to a place of work that he had been fired from several months before, And he was such a changed man in his work quality, in his uh, attitude, his relations, that a fellow worker asked him what in the world had happened. And he related to the person a tragedy that had sent him on a downward spiral of self-hatred and despondency earlier. When he was in college, he was part of a fraternity uh, initiation committee. And here's what he said they did as part of their initiation. We placed the new members in the middle of a long stretch of a county road I was to drive my car at as great a speed as possible straight at them. The challenge was for them to stand firm until a signal was given to jump out of the way. It was a dark night. I would reached 100 miles an hour and saw their look of terror in the headlights. The signal was given and everyone jumped clear, everyone except one boy. I left college after that. I, marri- I later married and had two children. The look on that boy's face as I passed over him at a hundred miles an hour stayed in my mind all the time. I became hopelessly inconsistent, moody, and finally became a problem drinker. My wife had to work to bring in the only income we had. I was drinking at home one morning when someone rang the doorbell. I opened to find myself facing a woman who seemed strangely familiar. <coughs> she sat down in our living room and told me she was the mother of the boy. Uh, the boy I had killed years before. She said that she had hated me and spent agonizing nights rehearsing ways to get revenge. I then listened as she told me of the love and forgiveness that had come when she gave her heart to Christ. She said, "I've come to <coughs> I've come to let you know that I forgive you and I want you to forgive me." I looked into her eyes that morning and I saw deep in her eyes the permission to be the kind of man I had been. Uh, I might have been had I never killed that boy. That forgiveness changed my whole life. See, when she was experiencing the supernatural grace of God to overcome bitterness, it not only freed her from a prison, it freed this other person from the prison that he was in as well. This passage indicates that bitterness can defile so many people and it's imprisoned so many people's hearts. It is hard to get over. It it takes swallowing your pride, which is such a hard thing to do. But let me tell you, it is well worth all the effort that you put into it. God will usher you into such a joy, such an encouragement in your life that it will not only free you, it will free others that have already perhaps been infected by your root of bitterness. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the challenge that you're...